Well, how are you doing today? Praise God. Matthew 6, working our way through the Lord's Prayer. Um, learning how to pray, amen. No matter where we are in our Christian walk, we could use some instruction on prayer. Um, there's nobody who's got prayer down perfectly, and Jesus gives instruction to his disciples here. So let's turn to Matthew 6. Uh, we are getting our way through this text here. We've covered a little bit. I'm going to read you verses 7 through 13 in just a minute, but let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that uh, you've given us instruction, Lord, that your disciples had the courage to ask you that question. Lord, teach us to pray. Father, that's the question that's on our heart this morning, Lord, and we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you make this text come alive to us today. And as we look at your instruction here, we would understand this template and how to apply it to our daily prayer lives. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Well, we're here in Matthew 6, and the disciples did ask Jesus after walking with him for a while, Lord, teach us to pray. The reason they asked is because they were watching him pray, and they realized Jesus knew something about prayer that they needed to learn. I'm going to pick up in verse 7 and read uh, through the Lord's prayer here. Uh, And then we're going to talk about where we're at in verse 11. It says here, And when you pray, Jesus speaking, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And in this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 11 is our target this morning. We've looked at some of what's here and we noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't ask him to teach them a prayer. They said, teach us to pray. What Jesus gives us here is not a prayer to be repeated over and over again. It's a template for prayer. That's why in verse 7 there it says, when you pray, do not pray as the heathen do with vain repetitions. We're not supposed to come to God with a script and just pray a script over and over again as if by our religious sacrifice or our many words that somehow will get God's attention. Prayer is designed to build intimacy with God, amen? If you're intimate with someone, you don't talk to them with a script. I don't wake up in the morning and say to my wife, good morning, wife. It is your husband. Today I would like bacon. No, you don't do that. If you do that, you need to go back to sleep, take your medication, and try again. Because that's not the way you build intimacy with a person you're in a relationship with. God doesn't require us to come to him with a whole lot of words and a whole lot of talk and a whole lot of volume. He wants us to pray our heart to him, amen? When you know somebody and you love somebody and you're close to somebody, you can share your heart with them. When you and I came to Christ and got born again and became Christians, our prayers to the Father changed. Why? Because now we had a connection with him and we're building a relationship with him. This... uh, Example of prayer that Jesus gives us here is a template for prayer, showing us how we should approach God. Now, so far, we've covered verses 9 and 10, and we've recognized some things here in the template. It says here, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we come to God first recognizing that he's our heavenly father, amen? And that's an awesome thing. Many times when, when, you know, when we think about that, uh, we have a little disconnect there. But to realize that God in heaven who created everything that's seen and unseen is our father, the implication there is that we are his children. And that's an awesome thing. You look so excited this morning, amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a child of God. That's good news this morning, amen? He's our father, so we come to him, and then what? We hallow his name. We reverence him. We give him praise. We praise our way into the presence of God. Why? Because he's holy. We recognize his name and that he sits on heaven's throne. You know, our father who art in heaven, first, you know, sitting on heaven's throne means he's in perfect power and dominion and authority we don't have to pray to god and he says well i can't help you you'll have to talk to somebody else no there's no one higher than him why because he's our father and he sits on heaven's throne so we praise his name we hallow his name and then we yearn in our spirits what for his kingdom to come that's submission that's saying you know many times we go to god with an agenda and we're like god i need you to do it this way at this time and you know do it uh, you know we're late so can you hurry up your kingdom come your will be done and then yearning for what's going on in heaven to happen in earth as it is in heaven amen not god you know make things good for me, better for me, nice for me, pleasant for me. No, but let your kingdom come. Let what's going on in heaven happen in my life on earth. Amen. And prayer is our lifeline that connects us to heaven. Uh, I don't know about you, but as you look at the world, many times it seems like things are spinning out of control. Have you ever, you know, you looked at what's going on with the prices of things, gas, and somebody shared this morning that fuel oil hit $6 a gallon. Wow, I'm glad I heat my house with wood. I'm dropping trees like crazy outside. You know, and you might look at the world and go, oh, it's, it's, it's nuts out there. But God's on the throne, and he's in charge, and he's our father, amen? So the template is showing us how to come into the presence of God and how to yearn for what's going on in heaven to happen in our lives on earth. And, you know, what happens here in verse 11 is really a big shift. There's a transition that takes place, and if you don't, you know, read it carefully and realize what's happening, you can miss it. But, you know, we came to God recognizing he's our father. He's in heaven's throne. We asked for his kingdom to come, his will to be done. And listen to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, whether you catch it or not right away, a huge shift has taken place because everything in the template thus far has been centered on God acknowledging who he is, where he is, that he has a kingdom, that we need his kingdom to come to earth and touch our lives. Now all of a sudden a shift takes place. What's the shift? The shift is now we're talking about our needs. Do you see that? Give us this day our daily bread. There's the shift right there in verse 11. And I want you to understand, it didn't just happen there by accident. It happened by design. When we come into God's presence, we have to acknowledge him first and, and put him, you know, in proper perspective before we bring our needs to him. How many of us have been taught to just, we're, you know, when we're in trouble, just kind of barge into God's office and start making demands? Right? God, and I understand there's times of desperation where it seems like we don't have time for formalities, right? You know, um, if you're drowning, please, maybe you can skip some of the parts and just yell, help me, Jesus. Right? Our Father. 
you know, we, we got we to gotta make that connection. I get that sometimes. But notice the pattern. It's trying to show us something here. It's appropriate to acknowledge God first before we start making demands and giving him our needs. Amen. You wouldn't just bust into your boss's office, you know, kind of just blow through the door and go, hey, I need this and I need that and I'm out of paper clips and I need a raise. You would be in a condition known as unemployed. Why? Because you have to give your, your, your employer some respect. And, you know, the sanctity of the office there. You know, he's probably playing words with friends. You don't interrupt him. You know? But understand there's a protocol, and there's a protocol in the template here. And the, the shift takes place here that now after we've reverenced and recognized God, now we can bring our needs to him. And I want you to see that the entire focus was on God. Now the focus is on our needs and our petitions. We come to God in prayer, addressing him first appropriately, and then bringing our petitions to him. Now, notice the type of needs that are described here. This is not a long verse, but we're going to spend all morning in it because it is packed. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's all we're going to cover this morning because it's just packed full of insight. And as we unpack it, we're going to see that there's a lot of implications here. The first thing you need to spot is this. The needs that are described in this verse are daily needs. Say daily. Daily. Our relationship with God must be a daily relationship. All right, let me, I got three amens. I'm going to try this side over here. Our relationship with God must be a daily experience. Okay, all right, that's good, all right. So we're getting it here. You know, many people think, well, church is Sunday, you know, and if, you know, with our generation, only 20% of the people go to church on Sunday. 80% of America is unchurched. So, you know, you think, well, it's a Sunday thing. No, our relationship with God is not a Sunday thing. Well, you know, I'm a super-duper Christian. I go to church Wednesday and Sunday. Come on, all you Wednesday night people who come for the teachings we've been doing on Ephesians, just powerful stuff, right? So, I'm, you know, I'm a Wednesday, Sunday Christian. I'm two times a week. No, it's not a biweekly relationship. Well, I'm a C&E Christian. I come Christmas and Easter. Uh, I'll see you next year. It's not a once a week. It's not a biweekly. It's not a Christmas and Easter twice a year or when the sun's not shining or if it's raining on a summer day and Sunday. It's an everyday, all day, once a day, daily relationship with God. So give us this day our daily bread. We're talking about daily needs. Now, God illustrated the fact that we need to cultivate a daily dependence on him so vividly by the way he physically fed the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. You know, when they left Egypt, and the 10 plagues and Pharaoh's army chasing them across the Red Sea, and God dealt with that. Now they're in the wilderness, and there's a million-plus people there. Some, you know, scholars think upwards of 2 million or more. And all of a sudden, you know, a little bit walking in the desert, and you're going to notice right away that it's hot and you're hungry. So anybody need food and water like every 20 minutes in life? Anybody? I, you know, I hover around the refrigerator all day. My wife has to chase me out of the kitchen with a spatula just to get me away. They needed food. All these people, they needed water. And and God feeds them in the wilderness. Now, in Exodus 16, it describes the way God 
provided for his people by feeding them in the wilderness. And there's some powerful principles in here I want you to get. Realize the Old Testament was given for us as types and shadows to give us principles of how we're supposed to live as New Testament Christians. Listen to Exodus 16, starting in verse 14. If you're taking notes, write that down and listen. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Now, check this out. God is providing what's going to be called manna. It's bread from heaven. And if you're a cook, whenever you put something on the table and people go, what is it? It's going to be a long meal. So they don't know what it is, and they see this dew-like substance on the ground. And, you know, their, 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 their response is, what is it? Which means manna. For the, they did not know what it was. Now listen, and Moses said to them, it is the bread. Say bread. It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone gather as much as he will eat, and you shall take an omer apiece according to the number of people you, you have in your tent. The sons of Israel did so. Some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it by Omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered as much as he would eat. Moses said to them, no one is to leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left of it until morning. And it bred worms and stank. Moses was angry with them. They gathered in the morning by morning, everyone as much as he would eat. And when the sun came hot, it would melt. So here's God feeding his people with bread from heaven, manna. What is it? And look at what he does. He requires them to gather it what? Weekly. Twice a week. Christmas and Easter. <laughs> no, it's daily. What is he doing here? God, man, can we just, I can't go grocery shopping every day. Can you just like, we can do, you know, fill up the cart once at Super Walmart and we're good for it. No. He says, you come to me and get it daily and I will provide your needs on a daily basis. You see what the principle is here. God is trying to say, you need to cultivate a daily dependence on me. Yeah, I could just provide your needs and we could walk away, but I, I want to I wanna build something with you that you know you're eating out of my hand and that I'm faithful and I've got you and you're on my mind and I'm taking care of you and I'm committed to keeping you. Amen? In fact, he made it so uh, important that they would do it on a daily basis that if you kept any more than you could eat for the day, it got wormy and it stank. Imagine that. You know, what was that? That was the stench of sin because people didn't listen. And you could walk by so-and-so's house and you'd be like, whoa, you don't listen. You didn't listen to God. I smell it. I smell it from here. Think about that. Think about a sin stunk. Smell like sin today, brother. Anything you want to talk about? God made it a public embarrassment for them that they would violate his command and not have a daily interaction with him. See how serious God is about providing for us daily? Every day we need to find ourselves in his presence. We need to find ourselves in prayer. We need to find ourselves communing and connecting with God. This morning we had communion corporately. We came together as the body of Christ. But you and I should commune with the Lord daily. 
praying and listening and reading the word. Amen? Are you getting this today? Are you finding time in his presence every day? If not, look, if we're not doing that well, you know, it was a good sermon on Sunday and it's Thursday and I'm still, you know, I still remember a couple things Pastor Rick said. Mostly the jokes, but I remember a couple things. You can't do that, amen. Why? Because if we're living off of yesterday, if we're living off our past experiences, if we're living off of somebody else's manna, there's going to be a level of moral rot in our life that stinks. Wow. So it was a daily thing. Now, John Maxwell, one of the leading Christian speakers on leadership in the body of Christ, uh, said some really powerful things. He has some powerful principles about the significance of what we do on a daily basis. Um, he says this, I believe the secret of your success is determined by your daily routine. Now, Maxwell is a Christian man with Christian principles, but he speaks to a lot of corporations and businessmen and leadership in all different levels. But realize these are Christian principles. He says, I believe your success is determined by your daily routine. If you make a few key decisions in your daily routine and manage them well, you will succeed. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. You taking notes today? I know I'm good looking. You're all staring at me. I get it. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, really, I am. Uh, <laughs> but, but you should write that down this morning. Amen. My life will never change until I change something in my daily routine. Success doesn't just suddenly happen, Maxwell said, in someone's life. Neither does failure. Both of them are a process. Every day is merely preparation for the next day. What you become is a result of what you do today. So in other words, you're preparing for something. The question is, what are you preparing for? Maxwell said, my father used to tell me, you can pay now and play later, or you can play now and pay later. But either way, you're going to pay. The idea was that if you play and take it easy today, your life will get harder tomorrow. How many can relate to some of those things? Amen. Powerful principles, amen, hands going up. You know, and we live in a culture that says, play today, you know, just do what you want, do what makes you feel good, don't worry about tomorrow. The government will pay off your student loans. <laughs> don't ooh me, come on, it's funny. We don't, we get in the hole, right, we dig, we get in the situation, and now we're like, who's going to bail me out? All right, service is over, we can go home now. Let's just go think about that. But it's a daily thing, and God wants us to have this daily connection with him. And we've got to look at ourselves. You know, we've got to ask ourselves a couple questions every once in a while. What does my daily routine suggest that I'm preparing for? You know, once in a while, we should be introspective and really look at our lives. Have you ever done that? Just step back and look at, you know, what you're doing and where you're spending your time and your money and look at the trajectory of your life and just let the Lord speak to you? It's an important thing to do, Amen. It's a time, you know, to reset, to recalibrate, to make some changes and to change some of the things we do in our daily routine. You know, we have to ask ourselves, have I made a habit out of playing now and, and, and not paying my dues to get to where God wants me to be in life? The answer to those two questions is a very accurate predictor of our spiritual health and growth in the future. So realize the shift takes place here. We bring our needs to God, but we have to realize they are daily needs. Every day, we need to spend time with God to commune with him, 
to share our hearts with him and connect with him. If we're missing days at a time, we are treading water spiritually and we're not going to have the peace of God that he wants us to have in our lives. Let's shift the subject here more about verse 11. Let's talk about bread this morning. How many people like bread? Come on, we're a carbalicious nation here, amen? Most of us eat enough carbs in a day to work 15 hours in a coal mine and we sit at a desk all day. That's why there's more of us than we'd like to admit. Bread. He said, you know, give us this day our daily what? Bread. Bread has a very, uh, very great spiritual significance in both the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, bread or grain was used as an offering to bring to God. Through the Mosaic Law Covenant, they would bring grain offerings to the Lord. They would take some of the grain and give it to the priests, and they would pour some of the fine grain in the flour, uh, made into flour. They would pour it in the fire, and it would make the smell like fresh bread. And it would be a fragrant aroma that was offered up to the Lord. You say, what was that about? This was a way that Israel would give this offering to the Lord as a remembrance between the covenant that they had with God. Hey, God, we're in relationship together. We have a covenant relationship. You're our God and we're your people. And here's an offering of bread, of grain that we're going to give to you as a fragrant aroma to remind us of the covenant we have with you. We talked about manna here in the Old Testament. God could have dropped anything from the sky. You're going to see they complained about the manna, and they wanted meat. So God sent them enough quails that they had quail coming out of every part of their body. But God's provision was bread. It was bread from heaven, and that's symbolic of God's faithful provision. How does God show that he's faithful and attentive to his people? He lets bread rain down from heaven. Bread pointed to the body of Christ, both in the Passover and the Lord's Supper. We had communion today. We have the the bread and the cup, amen? The bread represents the body of Christ. You can see even in the Passover, as you look in there, you can see uh, the bread, the unleavened bread that's pierced with holes, representing the pierced body of Jesus Christ. So bread is a powerful uh, descriptor and a symbol in the Old Testament, Bread speaks of intimate fellowship. The Bible talks about breaking bread together. You see, the Jews wouldn't just eat with anybody. They would only eat with people that were connected to God. They wouldn't eat with the heathen or the Gentiles. Why? Because when you eat with someone, it's an intimate connection that's being made. Amen? Now, we've gotten away with this to some degree. You know, we, we don't see it that way. But understand, when you invite someone to your house and you have a meal together, there's a connection, a soul tie. There's, a, there's something being made there that when you're sitting down eating from the same food, you know, uh, it, it represents intimacy being forged. Also, Jesus called himself in John 6.35 the bread of life. That's pretty significant, isn't it? You know, here's Jesus saying, you know, I am the bread of life, talking about he's the one that will sustain us spiritually. In Matthew 4, 3 through 4, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3, when the devil tempted him. Remember, Jesus was fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. The devil comes to him and he says, what, uh, you know, turn these stones into bread. How many would ever like to try that every once in a while? Make pizza and bagels, right? But no, Jesus says to him, man shall not live by bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, if you reverse engineer Jesus' statement, man shall not live by bread alone, the implication is there that man lives by bread. Anybody? 
tracking with me. Amen. Thank you, Dizzy. So, you know, bread is, you know, bread is something that we live by. Now, I want to give you the simplest definition of bread from both the Old and the New Testament. Bread symbolizes that which sustains us naturally and spiritually. Bread is sustenance for spiritual life. Bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Understand the implications of bread. So when we pray to the Father, asking him to give us our daily bread, realize all the implications and more that we talked about are included in this request. We are, in essence, uh, agreeing with two important truths. Number one, we're recognizing God as the source of all things in our life. When you say, God... Give me my bread. Bread is sustenance. Bread is life. When we're coming to God asking for our daily bread, we're saying, God, you're the one who sustains me. You're the one who is my source. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You realize people look to a lot of things to sustain them, amen? But the truth is only God can sustain us. And so we come to him asking for, amen, our daily bread. We're looking for God to sustain our natural and spiritual needs we're recognizing god as our source of all things you know it's wise for us to ask ourselves from time to time what I, what am i really relying on to sustain me and is it reliable you know because when you rely on something to, to, yeah to sustain you 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 and it's not reliable boy you can find yourself in trouble I've shared stories before. People who know me know, you know, there's been times I've been back in the woods, deep in the Adirondacks by myself, and there was one time I walked across a bog in the winter, and I was on ice, and I really didn't know I was on ice till I was in the middle of the ice. And I heard this noise when I was on the ice, and I'll never forget the noise. It went something like, and then I was wet. When you hear ice creak, that means it's not reliable anymore at that point. And I thought, I always remember that. I always remember, you know, that when I talk about relying on things, I put my full weight on that ice without seeing if it was reliable. And it cost me a swim in February. So, you know, we can find ourselves in serious situations if we don't, you know, if we don't find that, you know, what we're trusting is reliable. Some people trust in money, in economy. Some people trust in pleasures and pursuits. The 401k, you know, I've diversified my portfolio. I've got gold and silver and cryptocurrency and Bitcoin will save me. If you are still at this point while we watch the economies of the world shake and crumble and teeter, if you're still relying on that sort of stuff, you're relying on something that's unreliable. And we need to once in a while see what we're relying on. Uh, am I really relying on God? Am I relying on Jesus? Am I putting my full weight on things that can sustain me? The bread of life, the sustenance from heaven, the faithfulness of God. You know, and uh, bread is something that I was thinking about this this morning. You know, if you have some fresh bread that comes out of the oven, and it's still smoking, I mean, and you cut it and the steam's coming off of it, and then you take it and you put butter on it and it just melts, you know? When it's melting off the, the knife and just... And I put, I mean, I just butter the heck out of that thing. You only live once, man. Give me the butter. And you take that piece of bread and it's still steaming and you can smell it. And then you take the heel end of a loaf of Wonder Bread 
Because, you know, the dads always get the heel end, right? That's what they save you. They go past, they take a good piece, you get the... And, you, and I said, you choose. Wh- which one will you choose? Now, there ain't even a choice. If you, choose the, if you choose the heel, you need deliverance. But you choose that fresh bread, amen? That's what God offers to us daily. Don't live off of stale stuff, amen? Don't eat the stale stuff. Eat the fresh bread. God wants to give it to us daily. And you know what? I want to tell you something. Uh, You can have as much of him as you want. You just got to come get it. Come get it. Amen. Spend time at his feet and come get it. The fresh bread is calling for the body of Christ today. He's calling us to the secret place to come into his presence and to find what sustains us in him. I want to talk about one last thing as I close down verse 11 here. Uh, We talked about the fact, you know, that bread is what's offered to us. It's a daily uh, interaction in the presence of God. But there's also a point I want to glean here just from the verse by looking at it. It says, give us this day our daily bread. You say, what else can we squeeze out of there? I want you to understand this. We are all needy. No matter how tough, how self-reliant, how, you know, how together we try to project that we are, all of us have a whole lot of needs every day. Come on, some of you won't give in out there. Say, say amen. Self-reliance and rugged individualism and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Listen, uh, all of us need God every day. He designed us that way. There's a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and if we fill it with anything but God, we're going to be empty. So we are needy, and we've all heard the expression that someone is needy. In fact, turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're needy. Tell him you're high maintenance. Come on, married people, have some fun. We've heard that, right? You're high maintenance. (laughs) The couples that won't look at each other need, you know... But we've all heard that before. You're needy. You're high maintenance. In fact, you know, we have a high maintenance culture right now. Cheryl Connor wrote an article in Forbes magazine called 13 Traits of High Maintenance People. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. Put your trays in the upright position. Here we go. Number one, high maintenance people always have urgent needs. Come on, you know people like this, they just come in, they bust into your life. 58 phone calls. They need, I need this right now. I need you to do this for me. High-maintenance people have a sense of entitlement. You know, you got to help me. You got to do this for me. You got to lend me that. High-maintenance people could be self-sufficient, but they choose not to be. High-maintenance people cling to stories about past personal wrongs. High-maintenance people talk a lot. High-maintenance people are never satisfied. Number seven, they are high-strung. Number eight, they live in a perpetual state of drama. I know at this point you're thinking to some people. (laughs) Number nine, they handle money poorly. That's why they always need your money. (laughs) Number 10, they place a high importance on material status. They're broke, they're not paying their bills, but they're wearing Gucci and Armani. They are obsessed with details, theirs and yours. Number 12, they are always unsettled and restless. Number 13, they, rep- they resent authority and are critical of others. What a list there, <laughs> a list that describes many in our culture these days. 
we are a high-maintenance people, maybe more now than ever. And even in the body of Christ, we don't have it all together. We've got a lot of needs. And so how crazy is it for us to be so needy, but then to ignore those needs or not bring those needs into the presence of God? If you've taken even a rudimentary psychology class, you've heard of Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. Have you heard of that? How many people have heard of Maslow? Amen, amen. Yeah, Maslow, he had this idea where he would categorize and put together the hierarchy of man's needs. He built them into a nice multicolored pyramid here. And they break into categories like this, physiological needs, needs for safety, need to be loved, need for esteem, need for self-actualization, and there's all categories broken down in there. And he put it all together, and you know what, we've studied this, some of us know it, we've thought, you know, looked at it in psychology, and the truth is it's accurate, but at the same time, we can never meet these needs and neither can anyone else. We can identify that we have them. Maslow was right. But the truth is only God can meet all these needs all the time because he's the only one. (laughs) Can I I just be honest? God's the only one that can handle us. Hello? Yeah. He's the only one that can handle you. Now I'm going to find one person and pour out all my life into them and just suck the life out of them and it's good. No! Not even your spouse can handle everything about you. Amen? Sometimes my wife just squirts me with the, get out of here. Only God can meet all those needs all the time. It's insane to think a a person, well, I'm just going to surround myself with a team of people to meet my needs. Yeah. You're you're the one, the high maintenance one on, you're hitting all those 13 requirements there. God knows our needs. God built some of those needs into us, and God alone is able to meet our needs. We are a needy people. Now, I want to just take a look at four categories from a biblical perspective here. Maslow's got his categories. You're welcome to look at that on your own time. If you can glean anything good out of that, I think you might. But here's four categories of needs that each of us have on a daily basis. All of us have physical needs, We need food, we need water, we need clothing, we need shelter. How many are glad that God is committed to provide our physical needs? Amen? You know, half the people didn't raise their hands because maybe you're not sure. God will meet your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen? David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Listen to me, men. I know God's called us to be providers, but God is the one who provides for us. Amen. We do our part, guys. It's not, oh, I got the mortgage and the bills and this and that and this mortification and I can't take it anymore. Listen, God is the one who provides for his people. I'm thankful for food in my belly. I'm thankful, you know, for a a place to sleep at night that I don't have to sleep out with the critters. Amen. Those are physical needs, and they're legitimate needs, and God provides for the sparrows, and he, he provides for the birds and the, 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 the animals, and he certainly provides for his people. We also have financial needs. You know, just, I mean, just living in New York, you, when you wake up, you owe somebody money. Just... I mean, it takes money to do everything we need to do to exist, to drive to work with our $5 gas and to eat three good meals a day. You know, some bridges cost $14 to cross. 
If I pay $14, I want to be on an amusement park ride. I want to go over to George Washington and go, wee! You know, I'm like, this is it for $14? I'm breathing this guy's exhaust. This guy's cutting into my lane. That guy gave me a hand gesture I didn't even know. $14. You just wake up and you owe people money. Welcome to New Yorkistan. How about emotional needs? We need to be loved. We need to be in healthy relationships. We need peace. We need rest. You know, everybody needs to be loved, no matter how self-sufficient we are. You know, thank God some days, you know, if, you, if there's a couple people that still love you on any current day, you're probably doing good. You know, I can always count on my mother and my wife, generally, if I haven't exasperated them for the day. But as Christians, we can always default to the fact that, man, if everybody's not happy with me today, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so, amen, that God in heaven loves us. You know, people who don't know the Lord don't have that to fall back on. And some days, you know, everybody's mad at them, and they feel isolated. That's a huge need, one that God meets for us all the time. We need, do you know we need Laughter. First service, Pastor Mike and I were talking about this. When we were young and in Bible school, you know, we would laugh so much that I remember times like just pushing him out of my room because my cheeks hurt. We had to go to bed. We just were with a group of young guys that, you know, just we were, I mean, laughing all the time. And after 30 years of ministry, we're like, (laughs) you know, sometimes it takes, you know, three hours of the three stooges before we start to (laughs) chuckle. But and the young people are the three who's. But we need laughter. As we get older, we get less friends, we have less connections, we have more pressure, more, uh, you know, more things to, to wrestle with and more problems, and we forget to laugh. Right. We forget to cultivate relationships. But these are needs that we have. We have spiritual needs. Every day we need interaction with God. We need affirmation from God. God, am I doing good? Do you still love me? Am I your son? Am I on the right track? And when you get those yes and amens from heaven, it doesn't matter what else the world throws at you. If you're good with him, you're good. We need time in God's word, time in prayer, time in worship every day. Every day. These are our needs And God meets those needs. Now, I want to close this message down with one more point. Not only do God's children need all the necessities of life that everybody needs, we're also warned to expect more than our fair share of trouble in life. Psalm 34, 19 says this, Many are the afflictions of the wicked. Now, many are the afflictions of the rotten. Many are the afflictions <laughs> of everybody else but me. <laughs> no, it says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, I'm mad about it too. What, God, why can't just people who are doing the wrong stuff have trouble? And they do, but you know what? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Bible warns us even when we're doing the right stuff, we're going to have problems. But the verse continues, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Amen. Now, there again, unfortunately, it doesn't say that we won't have any. It just says he'll deliver us out of them. 
So we're warned that, you know, we're going to have afflictions to deal with. You say, why do we have to suffer now? Because we, we're paying now, but for eternity, we're not going to suffer. There's going to be no more tears and no more trouble and no more problems. Come on, I'm going to keep going until you say amen. And there's going to be no more pain and no more suffering. Amen. For eternity, that's what we're going to have. There's going to be nobody in heaven with a hard luck story. There's going to be nobody crying. There's going to be no people in wheelchairs in heaven. Sickness and pain and suffering gone. So we suffer a little bit now. But in eternity, we reap the benefits of what Jesus did on our behalf. How about John 16, 33, Jesus talking. These things I have spoken to you uh, so that you may have peace. So Jesus is telling us something so we can have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. In this world, you have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. There again, Jesus himself promising us, whether we're righteous, doing the right things, that we're going to have trouble in this world. Why? Because this world hated Jesus, and it's going to hate us the closer we get to Jesus, amen? And the more we look like Jesus, and the more we sound like Jesus, the more we're going to be out of step with the world, and it creates trouble. You say, well, I don't have any trouble. You might want to get saved this morning, amen? And start, you, you know, you need to up your game a little bit. You're not even on the devil's radar. He's like, ah. But the more kingdom-minded you become, the more trouble in life is going to come. Jesus said, don't, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't fall apart. Don't come unglued. I've overcome the world. You're mine. I'm your bread. I'll give you life. I'll supply your needs. I'll protect you. I'll be with you. I'll deliver you from all those afflictions, Amen. If we're not coming to God every day with our needs and receiving fresh bread from him, then we are leaving way too much room in our own lives for self-reliance and for the enemy to disconnect us from God. Jesus didn't die so we could rely on ourselves. Jesus didn't give every drop of his precious blood so that we could do it in our own strength. Jesus died for us to take away our sins and to meet our needs and to be our everything. That we could say, Father, give me today my daily bread and sustain me because you are my provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are my everything, and I put all of my trust in you. So give me that fresh bread today, Lord, and meet my needs because you are a good, good father. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this study on prayer as we learn the template here. And God, we're seeing uh, so far our template looks like this. We recognize you as our Father. We recognize you reign from heaven's throne. We reverence your holy name. We ask for your kingdom to come. We submit to your rule and we yearn for heaven to touch earth. And then, Lord, and only then, we bring all our needs to you and watch you meet them so richly every day. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to trust you in Jesus' name.